Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. This is Corey Lestoki. On the show today, we are going to be talking about the defensive line and the wide receiver slash tight ends. Also, Penn State got a new commit today, taking a potential commit from another Big Ten East school. So we'll talk about that, as well as a new portal member visiting, potentially a new defensive lineman uh, joining Penn State in Akeem Mesidor. So a lot to talk about today. We're going to get right after it. No trivia question today. Um, just me and Sean. going to break down some things for you. Penn State football. Let's get after it, everybody. Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. I am Corey Lestoki, and with me, Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Great, Corey. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm sure people are listening, and they're like, hey, you jinxed it. You guys had a month straight, and then all of a sudden, you didn't you didn't post one for Monday. And people right now, I haven't got anything, actually. But uh, I'm sure some people are just saying, hey, where's the episode? And it's because we're recording right now on Monday. Had some things to take care of on Sunday. Um, but we haven't disappeared quite yet. <laughs> yeah, I think they could wait a day. I think they'll survive. I think, I so. think so. <laughs> so. We'll see. A um, lot to talk about today. Let's just start with the breaking news first. Penn State flipping um, a three-star. Some people, I think, considered him a four-star, but for the most part, I think everyone kind of agrees he's a three-star tight end um, from Michigan to Penn State. Uh, he visited Penn State and and recently, and that kind of maybe did finish it off. So, um, congratulations and welcome in tight end Andrew Rappelier from Massachusetts, flipping from Michigan to Penn State. Yeah, I think it's a big commitment. Um, on rivals, I think he's considered a four star tight end. Right. So um, that's one we'll go with. Okay, we'll just go. Always go for the bigger one. Is that kind of the that's right. right. 24-7 as a before, we'll go with that one. But Rivals this time has him as a four-star. Um, yeah, he's a big body, 6'5", 225. I was just watching some of his huddle uh, film. They lined him up uh, pretty much. They lined him up everywhere in high school. So uh, on the line, as an inline tight end, they also spread him out wide. And that's similar to how Penn State um, has has liked to use their tight ends over the years. Um, he looks like he could block too, um, and it's and with that Michigan offer, it's no surprise since they love to have their tight ends block. Uh, he was also heavily considering Boston College. Again, they're typically a run-heavy team, um, so I think it's I think it's a nice pickup for, for Penn State and Ty Howell. 
Yeah, I think it's a it's a anytime you can take a player away from a Big Ten East opponent, I think that's it's always a good thing. Um, I think he's going to really help in the blocking department because when you you talk about the struggles of the offensive line and the running game, the tight ends haven't really helped out very much, and I don't expect Theo Johnson to really be a great blocking tight end for the future. Um, I don't think Brenton Strange is anything to write home about as far as blocking, so. Um, Probably is going to need a redshirt year, but regardless, I think he could be a potential guy who who can block and and catch the ball. So that would be nice. Yeah, I think kind of in that Pat Fryermuth mold. Now I'm not saying he's Pat Fryermuth, um, but sort of like that type of tight end where he could he could do a little bit of everything, uh, right. and we'll see how high of a level he could do everything at. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's kind of I, I wouldn't say it's a a risky pickup, but I think it's one that it's you won't necessarily see the benefits of it for right out right when he gets to campus. I think it's going to take some time, but I think he has potential to be solid. And Rappelier is just a fantastic tight end name. I don't know if you can get a better tight end name. Yeah, I think we had a guy named Hapley back in the day. So mm-hmm. I, I actually um, thought, wow, that's 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 funny. It's they're very similar, except the first letter is a little different. <laughs> it's, right, well, let's is different. Let's let's continue with that kind of news. Um, there's a lot of big recruiting weekends happening this past week and, and, and even next week. Um, a lot of 2024 guys, a lot of 2025 guys starting to creep into, into the scope for Penn State. Um, one additional potential transfer now, Akeem Mesador, a guy you wanted to mention from West Virginia, uh, just went into the portal just what, maybe four or five days ago now. So it's, it's pretty recent. He's still picking up offers from different people i know auburn tennessee usc have all uh dropped offers weirdly i think he cited not feeling safe in morgantown is one of the reasons why he's kind of moving on so that's a little bit of a different reason um what are your thoughts on him as a defensive lineman do you, do you think this is a potential land for penn state i think so i mean like you said he just decommitted or not decommitted um announced that he's going into the portal um, a few days ago, and he was right at Penn State, right? Uh, uh, as soon as that happened. Um, I don't know what's going on out in West Virginia. They've had a lot of transfers this this year. Um, but he's a guy who was second team all big twelve. Uh, he could play in he could play inside uh, defensive tackle and uh, out at end. Uh, Penn State needs defensive ends. They're pretty good at tackle, but um, if you could have a guy that, you know, you could use inside and out, that's always valuable. And we talked a lot about, uh, concern about concern with linebackers. Well, the best way to help your linebackers out is to have a good defense is to have a really uh, good defensive line in front of them. Um, so I think he would, he gives us uh, position versatility, a lot like how, uh, we have, we, we think we'll expect with, uh, Keen Beeman this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a perfect almost, you know, segue into what we're talking about today, which is the defensive lineman and, and how he could come in. And, and the thing is, you could make the argument that if everything was normal and if everything works out the way Penn State hopes it to be, they're actually probably going to be okay. But as soon as somebody goes down or if Mr. Fur doesn't come back 100% or Beeman isn't what we expect Beeman to be or if Adisa Isaac isn't what you expect um, him to be then all of a sudden you have very little depth um, we saw a lot of young guys play last year but a guy like Mesador who has proven himself 
Um, in, in a Big 12 league, that is a lot better than it used to be, too. I know like five, six years ago, everyone kept talking about how you know no, nobody played defense in the Big 12. That, that is far from the truth nowadays. They've got some some big-time defensive players over there, and, and Mesidor is, is one. If they could land him, that would be a huge sigh of relief for this Penn State defense. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, kind of like how AK uh, Arnold Ebicate helped last uh, the, this past year. I think it, you know, there's there's the potential that it could be um, on that magnitude of, you know, of uh, helping helping out the uh, defensive line. Um, and like you said, there's a lot of question marks going in this year, and there are a lot of guys who either didn't play at all last year, or uh, PJ who got hurt midway through the year that we're counting on. And there's always the potential for uh, rust, um, and. Um, you know, being out a whole year, even though I think uh, Disa Isaac and uh, Beeman and Mustafer, I, th- I think they'll be all right. But that Thursday night game against Purdue comes early, and Purdue won nine games last year. Right, and Purdue, Purdue has the ability to kind of, you know, do whatever they want because, you know, Penn State's defense isn't going to be ready. I mean, Purdue can come out, and although they're known for throwing the ball around a little bit, Purdue also struggled a little bit finding an offensive identity last year. They went through a lot of different quarterbacks. They played multiple quarterbacks in a game. So they they kind of can come out and do whatever they want to against Penn State. So they decide that defensive line is a place they want to challenge. I mean, it worked for Illinois last year. They could potentially do that. I mean, if, if I'm Purdue and I'm looking at how to attack Penn State defensively, I think I would much rather try to run the ball against them See if those linebackers can, you know, cover the edge. See if they, if they hold up on the interior, rather than taking my chances against the Penn State secondary. Yeah, I think uh, a good blueprint to how to beat this Penn State team uh, is to look at what Arkansas did last year in the Outback Bowl. Uh, be patient. Don't try to force things, and just trust. You know, like you said, just try to pound the ball as much as you could. Right, and I, I think maybe they'll um, maybe they'll have some success with it. I kind of give a lot of credit to what John Scott Jr. has been able to do, though. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. Re- I mean, we talked a little bit about him before already, but he's just done an incredible job of just reloading, and that's what everyone wants to be in the in the program. As far as you know, you don't want to rebuild; you want to reload. I know they went out and got AK last year, but really, even in a perfect world, if Adisa Isaac was going to be healthy, then and they didn't get AK, you'd still think they would have been okay. Um, so they've done a fantastic job, and now they're in a position where you potentially have a bunch of guys th- that played a lot last year. Even a guy like Smith Vilbert, who you know showed up in the Outback Bowl and said, "Hey, maybe I deserve some more reps." And if he has a good spring, you're going to feel really good about the fall. Um and then that doesn't even include, you know, younger guys coming in like of course Denai Dennis Sutton who you're obviously a big fan of. Yeah, and they want Denai Dennis Sutton even though he um isn't an early enrollee, they're expecting him to be ready by the time he gets to campus. I think Franklin actually mentioned him at his uh post game press conference uh, little uh, press conference get together um, uh, as you know there's there's zoom they're on zoom calls with him to make sure he's up to speed with everything um, and like you said Smith Vilbert really showed out and I thought um, he's I thought Nick Tarburton who kind of I thought got a little unfairly maligned last year I thought he was okay 
I could see him having uh, an Evan Schwan 2016 type year this year, uh, where you might not be expecting that much from him, but he you could get he gave he could get you um, some big plays at some key times. Just having that veteran experience. Yeah, and he's got solid length too. And, and Tarburn's a guy who might be one of the better guys to stop the run. And so if you're if you're a team that's trying to run against Penn State, Tarburn might be a guy that you might want in there more. I mean, let's just assume that Isaac doesn't have the same stamina coming in that he, we, you know he he should have had if he was 100 percent healthy. Uh, Tarburton's a guy you could throw in there in obvious run situations and, and just save Isaac just a couple reps here and there just to put Isaac in better situations where he's not basically getting bulldozered by a, you know an offensive tackle or a, a tight end or a fullback every other play. Absolutely, yeah. And Tarburton, like you said, gives you that. And I agree with you. I thought against the run, he was really helpful last year. I thought he played the, the game that sticks out to me is the Wisconsin game. I thought he, I thought he uh, really stepped up um, and I thought he was pretty good in the, I thought he was pretty decent um, in, in the bowl game, if I remember correctly. Um, and uh, like we were touching on earlier, the defensive tackle spot has a lot of depth. Um, I, I, I know we discussed Zane Durant and uh, Franklin gave him another mention in his press conference. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how, how the defensive line goes with all the question marks um, with people coming back and uh, new faces showing up. Yeah, and, and Beeman, again, Beeman wasn't hurt last year. He, he just didn't play for undisclosed reasons, so... Who knows where he's going to be, if he's going to be 100% as far as maybe whatever, not not necessarily physically, but psychologically, mentally, whatever, or academically, whatever the situation might be, uh, getting Hakeem Beeman back as well, interior-wise, interior will be huge. Uh, Devon Ellis is, is going to be back as well on the inside, so um, I believe Vandenberg's going to be back on the inside, so you, you have a couple options there um, that you can feel pretty yeah, and Izzard. So you, you feel pretty decent about what you have on the inside. Um, obviously, a lot depends on how healthy Mustafa is going to be. Because if he's if he's 100% and Beeman's 100%, I mean, now, if you can just get 10 to 15 reps out of everybody else, I mean, now you're you're feeling really good on, on the inside. One other guy, I guess, on the outside I want to mention is, is Uriah Fisher. We haven't really seen he, – he was kind of a guy that – Everybody knew had some athleticism to him. He just hasn't really found his spot yet. Um, and I'm curious if maybe maybe it's another year. I don't know. But um curious to see where he ends up and, and where he finally gets more reps at. Because you got to start. I'm not saying he has to start or anything this next year. But if he doesn't start seeing at least some playing time and doesn't start making some sort of impact, I, I don't really know, you know, if, if not now, then when for Zariah Fisher. Yeah, and he was a bit of a tweener coming in, um, as far as his size went. Uh, but I, I mean, he's he's gotten bigger, and um, it's yeah, it's time to time to start getting more productivity from him. I I, I definitely agree with you, um, especially with a lot of these uh, younger uh, edge players that uh, Penn State has coming in right now. Um, guys, guys that uh, got there last year that are redshirt freshmen this year, like uh, got uh, Derek Townley. And that's not to mention denying Dennis Sutton coming in in the fall. Right. And then, obviously, your boy Zane Durant. So, um, which, which, again, the fact that 
Durant is making an impact, enough of an impact, especially early on. Like, it's one thing if you're making some noise in August where, you know, people are just excited, things, whatever the case may be. But to make big noise, having the head coach talk about you in the first half of spring practice is pretty impressive, especially at the defensive tackle position, not a position um, where you see a lot of young guys playing. Yeah, I mean, the I was trying to think. I think the only defensive tackle that played for Penn State as a true freshman might have been P.J. Mustafer. I don't think Kevin Givens even played as a true freshman. Um, so that's so, and you think of all the great defensive linemen we've had over the years. Um, you know that that's extremely impressive, and um, I think it'd be crazy not to be excited about it. Yeah, and, and so when when we talk about strengths and weaknesses for the defense, so we've talked about the entire defense now going into spring ball, which I guess we're going to have these same conversations as we get closer to the season again. But when you look at the defense as a whole, I think I feel better about the defensive line than I do the linebackers. You agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We have proven, we have uh, a lot more proven commodities there. Um, like, and, and then not to mention the depth, uh, but at the linebacker spot, I'm concerned with whoever the starters are going to be too. Like how, how high of a caliber are these guys um, at this point in time in their careers? Um, Whereas defensive line, you know, assuming um, our guys are able to come back and they're healthy and they're uh, ready to go uh, at least somewhat to start the year. um, I feel pretty good about it. And um, yeah, I'm, I think we we discussed linebackers earlier uh, in one of our earlier podcasts. Um, I'm more concerned about that position than anywhere, including the off- the offensive line. You know, if we look at these, and we're going to talk offense in just a second, but when you look at these right now, I think it's pretty clear that linebacker and offensive line are probably the weakest points. And, and those aren't necessarily good spots to be weaker at, but... I guess one, the only thing I'm nervous about defensive end wise is like Adisa Isaac and, and the defensive ends. Are we going to be able to generate enough pass rush? And I just, I mean, Adisa Isaac was good when he was there. He's very athletic, very quick, but we haven't seen a huge, large sum of production from him. I mean, it's not like he's already had a masterpiece of a season. I mean, going into last year, we kind of expected him to take that huge step. But he hasn't necessarily taken that yet. So is he going to 100% take that step? Are we 100% going to feel good about it? Uh, and and if, he, if he was coming back, if he was, if he was like P.J. Mustafer as far as coming back, I'd feel a lot better about it. But I still think defensive end-wise, in, in a world where you have to be able to rush the passer, I'm still a little scared about that. Oh, yes. I I share your concerns. Um, yeah, last year was supposed to be a D-size. It's a big year uh you know big leap forward and he was injured the whole year and it's it's hard to even say because we don't know what the injury was um exactly what to look for um but yeah i think concern because you know you brought up ak before what if we did if we didn't have ak last year there wasn't really that 
uh, pass rushing ace that we could really count on um, outside of him. And he created a lot of um, pass rushing opportunities for other guys. Um, So not having him and having to replace him with guys that we just don't know a whole lot about or have limited sample size. um, Yeah, that is that is definitely a concern. Uh, One of the positives is Manny Diaz, his defense is just tend to be able to know how to get after the quarterback. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll be able to find a way to make up for it. That's a good point. And right. You don't necessarily have to have a 10 sack guy. If you can have multiple people in that five range and and you can make the argument, it's almost better to have multiple people, um, especially if you're coming from different places. So um, that's a, that's a good point. And and who knows? I mean, we didn't know what AK was going to do heading into the season, and it took all of Wisconsin game to, for us to feel a lot better about it. So um, if Penn State's defensive line, let's just say we, we rate them out like a B right now. If they end up being a B-plus or an A-minus, I think this defense could be freaking really good. Because like you said at the very beginning of all this, a good defensive line helps out your linebackers a ton. But if they end up being a B minus or a C plus or God forbid a couple injuries and they're actually more like a C overall. Now all of a sudden this defense could be a problem, a big problem, especially if they can't stop the run because it doesn't matter how good your secondary is. If you can't stop the run, everything's going to be wide open. So I think a lot depends on how healthy and how active they can be on that defensive line. It's it's probably besides the offensive line, probably the most important pivotal part of Penn State's team going into 2022. Yeah, and I think that's true for most teams in America. I mean, football really is a pretty simple game. If you could uh, make your quarterback comfortable comfortable, and you make the other team's quarterback uncomfortable, you're going to win a lot of games that way. So being able to shore up, uh, both, to shore up the trenches um, – even, you know, if you could shore up the trenches on the defensive side of the ball, that's going to benefit your whole defense because you could have the greatest secondary in the world. But if everybody could run all over you, uh, you're not going that far with that. Right. And, and again, I would feel better if we had experienced linebackers, but we, we just don't have them right now. Um, and, and that's just going to be how it is. And, you know, um, just before we move on from the defense, uh Wheatley at safety has been playing really well, I guess, this spring so far. And so let's just, and we, we just talked about the DBs and, and Wheatley wasn't a guy we talked about a bunch or we didn't even hypothetically talk about if he starts. If he started, Sean, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm curious if we could say, could see Jalen Reed move to potentially playing a little bit more linebacker or at least being that additional guy that comes on the field in a more run situation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Jalen Reed has shown that he's not shy about, um, about, about hitting. Um, uh, Zaki Wheatley. Yeah. I, I actually don't think we talked enough about him um, in our previous podcast, but Franklin has been really talking him up at, um, at, press conferences and I've noticed a pattern with watching Franklin over the years if he's really talking you up in the spring and you're just kind of an out of the out of nowhere guy usually that translates well into the into the following season 
Um, and having four reliable safeties and having safeties that aren't afraid to hit, that's also really going to help out your, um, your linebackers. And it's going to give you that position versatility that you need if you're, if you're a little short at one spot. Right. And if we're going to end up playing a four, two, five kind of hybrid defense anyway, it's almost beneficial to be able to have more Jalen Reed type players out there because it gives you so much flexibility in what you can do. So I think Wheatley stepping up when it's all said and done could be one of the biggest parts of this defense. It's biggest storylines of this defense because he just moved from corner. He goes to safety. If he, if he plays well there and you have Keaton Ellis, let's just say they split reps, whatever. Let's just say they're the same. That does a lot, takes a lot of pressure off, you know, having to worry about moving Sutherland back there. That means Sutherland can 100% focus on linebacker. It means Jalen Reed can play a little bit of nickel. He can play a little dime when they go that wide, or he can play a little bit of Sam even, who knows, um, or, or will. Um, that just gives them all more flexibility. I mean, you could potentially run a defense in, in certain situations, I'm not saying all the time, but certain situations where you just run Curtis Jacobs, Jalen Reed, and Daquan Hardy out there all at the same time. And that, that seems, at least from a pass perspective, probably one of your better options. Yeah, and I think in modern-day football and really modern-day sports, basketball is the same way. Um, a lot of, there's been a lot of emphasis in the past five or six years on just getting your best players on the field. Um, this, it works the same way on the offensive line in the NFL these days, you just want your best five linemen out there and then you kind of figure out the positions. Um, I think you're going to, I think we're almost in a position where we have to be like that. And I've seen it work. It's not like. It, it's doomed for failure if you don't have three linebackers out there or two, even two true linebackers out there if you have guys that are quote-unquote positionless. And plus, um, uh, Curtis Jacobs himself played quite a bit of safety um, in in high school. So it, this it, we, you could be seeing a lot of interceptions this year with this defense. That'd be sweet. And and also, I'd like to say the same thing as far as the defensive line goes. Like, yeah, you have some guys that are more defensive tackles than defensive ends, but you also have a lot of guys that play defensive end that can play defensive tackle. Like, you could easily move Tarburton inside in a pass rush situation. You know, you could move Beeman to the outside if you really needed to. Like, you actually have a decent amount of flexibility. Um, a guy like Zane Durant, who... Again, I don't like putting a lot of emphasis on a guy who might not play as much, but since he's getting the love anyway, a guy like Zane Durant can play on the outside if you needed needed him to in a pass rushing situation, which, I mean, at the very least, gives you more opportunities for different kind of stunts. Yeah, and I think uh, another guy that we have coming in this year, Abdul Carter, he could play end or linebacker. And end and linebacker, they've always kind of been uh, outside linebacker and defensive end, have always been a little, a little interchangeable, uh, usually. Um, but as time goes on and I think people just become just through evolution, more athletic, uh, it gives, it, it provides you with that ability to, uh, give people, uh, it'll provides you with the ability to play two different positions. Yeah. And, and being able to play multiple positions is, is, is pretty important, especially when you don't have the depth 
that that you wish Penn State had. So, um, any final thoughts on the defensive line or, or defense before we move to the other side of the ball? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, let's talk offense. And we've already talked running backs. We've already talked offensive line in previous episodes. So let's talk receivers and tight ends. And um, let's let's start with tight ends because I think receivers could be a long conversation. Tight ends. A lot of people are picking Theo Johnson to be the breakout player of the year. You also have Brenton Strange. What are your thoughts on the tight end position? I I would probably say they disappointed us last year. They had decent games against Auburn, but I mean overall they didn't really put it all together. And what are your thoughts on them moving forward? Um, yeah, I think the tight ends were a rather disappointing group last year. Uh, we were, they had a lot of hype, uh, going into the season and they just didn't outside of a couple moments here and there, they had a big game against Auburn. They just didn't deliver like we needed them to. Um, I don't, uh, one guy that I thought did, uh, live, um, actually he had the least amount of hype and I thought he impressed quite a bit was, uh, Tyler Warren, who was a high school, uh, quarterback. And he showed he could go up, he could go up and get the ball with the best of them. I, I still think Theo Johnson has. He, he reminds me a lot of Mike Isicki in his first two years, except he's better than Mike was in his first two years. But just you always felt like he was getting closer and closer to putting it together, but he just couldn't. But then the light bulb came. Was you're just waiting for that light bulb to come on, and I think it's going to. I think Theo's going to have a big year for us. Um, and I'm expecting Brenton Strange, uh, also just getting that consistency is going to be a big thing with him. So consistency, consistency, consistency is the big thing with the tight ends. I wanted to ask you this question. This is something I've posed. I think I maybe talked about this at, in January or so, if they are unable to use the tight ends effectively moving forward. Like, let's just say they have another down year. Things don't go extremely well. Why continue to recruit them heavily? I mean, I, I look, I, I'm not trying to make something fit if it's not going to. And I get it. If you can get great athletes at the tight end position, that's fantastic. But if Mike Yersich doesn't want to use tight ends and just, just doesn't know how to or whatever the case may be, I don't see why we continue to recruit tight ends so hard. So I'm curious to see if moving forward, I know it's funny because we just picked up a tight end commit that we just talked about at the beginning of this episode, but why? If we, I mean, they haven't really been targeted very much. And I know Fryer moved, you know, was targeted a lot, but that was a Sharaka offense that made a little bit more sense. I just don't know. It seemed like they were trying to get them the ball instead of just letting them get the ball, if that makes sense. And the only thing from Yursich that made you feel cool and feel good about it was that Auburn game when they were all over the place, they were lined up all over the place. And I think that that, that is the way to use tight ends in, in 2022. But I just don't know if I have confidence that they're ever going to be that focal point, no matter how good of tight ends that we're bringing in. Well, yeah, they might not be. Um, and it is curious that, through uh, Joe Moorhead, uh, Ricky Ronnie, and even Sharaka, there was the, the the tight ends were used heavily. Um, 
And then last year, when we got a new scheme, I, I think this would be the first year that we would probably characterize the tight ends as being disappointing. And maybe that does have something to do with the scheme. Um, and you might see you might see them getting away from emphasizing it, uh, emphasizing it on the recruit on the recruiting trail. Um, I don't think that would be necessarily a good thing because I think I think tight end is probably like I see tight end being underutilized by smart court by smart offensive game um, offensive uh, coordinators. I think they're underutilized more than. I think they're unfairly underutilized more than any position. Because uh, if you could have a guy who's big and can run, get up, and and it's just a matchup problem for um, for defenses, why why not utilize them? Why are why is this person being underutilized? You have a walking matchup nightmare, and you're not using it. And I just I I don't understand why teams why teams don't um, emphasize their tight ends more. And like you said, when we did try to get the ball to the tight ends last year, it did feel like it was being forced a little bit, and that's never good. Right. It, it almost seemed like they – some games it literally felt like Yersich had Brenton Strange or Theo Johnson on his fantasy football team, like the way they were trying to get him the ball. And, and I mean, even in, in – you go to that Outback Bowl game against Arkansas, and Theo Johnson had multiple opportunities, and, and sometimes – it wasn't his fault, like the overthrow in the back of the end zone. Um, but Brenton Strange in the IO game had, I mean, just imagine if he catches, now they weren't great passes, but if he just catches one or two of the passes his way, maybe it just gives a little bit of confidence to Taquan Roberson and they do something with the ball. All they had to do was literally score one more time and they probably win that game. So the, the ifs and buts come into play there a little bit. But Brenton Strange is a guy I've, I've always been very high on. And I think you're right. If he puts it all together, he can be something special. But um, man, you're just you're always wondering like, wh- why can't we? Because you're right. I don't really know besides Ohio State and maybe Michigan. I don't really know if there's anybody else, and and I guess Auburn, if there's anyone else on the schedule that has somebody that could match up with a Theo Johnson, and you would and you would stay away from that matchup. I I don't know if there's anyone out there that exists. Where you're like, oh, this guy's gonna be playing man to man on Theo Johnson the entire game. We're not gonna look his way as long as we see that. I don't know if there's somebody like that with the majority of the games Penn State plays. So if they go zone, okay, that's one thing. But if they're lining up in man coverage, and it's in a it's a red zone opportunity, especially, I don't really know. Talk about goal line fades not being our favorite. But if you're gonna do goal line fades or just some pop pass over the middle of the field. I mean, Theo Johnson is a guy who you would feel pretty confident winning that matchup most of the time against most of the opponents in a Big Ten. Absolutely. And uh, what you said about the um, how there were missed opportunities for the tight ends, that's also why I don't think it was totally scheme, and a lot of it was just um, the guys just not getting it done. Um, I think back to that uh, pass from Taquan Roberson in the Iowa game to Brent Strange, and he's wide open. And he's got about 20 yards of green grass in front of him. And he just drops the football. Like, there's just so much inconsistency and having opportunities that they just blow for some reason. Um, And, um, yeah, offense is not utilizing their tight ends. Again, bringing up every podcast, I'm a Dolphins fan. Um, They just didn't have Mike Kosicki on the field 50% of the time last year and drove me crazy. But that's just me being a bitter Dolphins fan. 
Um, well, well, we can talk about that a little bit later. There was some NFL news, a couple guys getting some new contracts, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, I, I think the tight ends are going to surprise this year. This year, I really do. Um, I also think tight ends perform better when you have a good running game. Obviously, everything's better when you have a good running game. But I really think the tight ends, especially because usually they're lined up against tight or against linebackers and safeties. And those are the guys that you're specifically targeting when you're running play action pass. And so those are the guys that are going to keep creeping up. And that, that's when a Theo Johnson and a Brenton Strange can, can get, get open uh, behind things. So I would expect if the running game is better, then all of a sudden the tight end game improves. There's only so many times you can line up a tight end out in a trips formation and have him block sometimes and then go out for a pass or line him up on the um, at the tackle spot before people catch on. But I think... If the running game improves, and, and if the running game improves, that's because the tight ends performed better in the running game too. So, you know, the better they do there, you know, it's a help me help you kind of thing for the tight ends. Yeah, and the running game, if we could get that going, we could use a lot of those RPOs that uh, were so effective with uh, Gesicki and um, and McSorley because uh, you would get the linebackers to cheat up to uh, beat Sa- to try to take Saquon down. And then there's Gasicki wide open over the middle. So that good run game will absolutely help the tight ends produce more. Okay, well, let's talk receivers. And I don't really know how I want to do this. Um, Let's start with Parker Washington. And I guess my question is, do you expect him to stay on the inside and kind of just be the, the slot assassin? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's if it's not if it's not broke, don't if it's uh, not broke, don't fix it. Um, he has shown that he could be really productive on the inside. I think we have athletic guys that could uh, go to work on the outside. So why move them? Okay, and so if you leave him there, I would assume Keandre Lambert Smith is going to be the guy to beat on the outside. He's at least going to have the, the biggest opportunity. Um, Lions uh, 24-7 Sports was talking about the way the coaches were talking about Mitch Tinsley and how it wasn't necessarily in a way of how explosive he is, but how smooth and collective he is. And I don't know how much to read into all of that, but I think they talked the same way about Jahan Dotson, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. They never really said Jahan Dotson was a – you know, an insane playmaker, high point catching. They always talked about him like he, the same way they kind of talk about Deshaun Hamilton. And honestly, I kind of like the sound of that. I, I think Tinsley could be a guy that comes in here, even if he gets you 40 catches this year, or, or and and Parker Washington gets you 40 catches, and, and Lambert Smith gets you 40 catches. You know, that that seems to be the way to replace Dotson in aggregate, and and not just expecting a Tinsley or a Lambert Smith. Uh, or a Parker Washington, for that matter, to, to just to be a Jahan Dotson all of a sudden. Yeah, and like you said, Dotson was just kind of a slightly more explosive version of um, uh, of Deshaun Hamilton. And if you could get something like that from Mitchell Tinsley, I mean, that's great. You could you'll take those guys on your team every single day. And I think uh, similar to the tight ends, Andre Lambert Smith himself has to just be more consistent. And if he could, he's got a ton of talent and I actually really like him, but he just has to be able to put it all together. And if he could, that's going to be a really, really, really good uh, 
start starting wide receiver. Uh, that's going to be a really, really good group of starting wide receivers. I'm curious to see how how well he blocks on the perimeter uh, because there was a couple times last year where I thought Lambert Smith kind of let people out to dry. And if you want to run this, this Yersich offense, you know, I remember back when Odell Beckham Jr. was at LSU, and they always talked about if you want to get the ball, um, you got to be able to block first. And that was kind of the, the mindset they had uh, when Landry was there too. That was kind of like that. You got to be able to block, and if you block for someone else, especially in a receiver screen, bubble screen, you know that opens the door for you to get the chance to basically catch and run it with someone else blocking for you. So curious to see. And I'm also curious to see how important that aspect is for Yersich, right? Like, is that something that they have to be good at in order to play? Or is that something like, okay, well, he's still our best receiver, so he's still going to be out there. Because I think Lambert Smith is a guy that needs to improve on that. I thought Parker Washington did a decent job for what his size was. I didn't think Theo Johnson did that well when he was out there, which you're kind of more... It's one thing if Parker Washington, at his stature, misses a block on a corner. It's another thing when Theo Johnson misses a block when he's literally out there most of the time to, to block somebody. Yeah, and wide receiver blocking, like that could be the difference between a 10-yard run and a 70-yard run. It's just being able to put in that extra effort and pick up blocks. Um, if you remember the Saquon run in the Rose Bowl, Chris Godwin's running like stride for stride with them, just clearing, clearing away. And that, that makes a huge difference. And I think when Josh Gaddis was here in general, like that, that was really emphasized. And if you didn't block, you weren't going to play. And I kind of like that. Now you're not always in a position where you're able to do that. If you're a little, if you're talent deficient at wide receiver, but I think with the new recruits coming in, I think I think you could see Penn State be in a position to be able to do that. I I think, and and again, this is something maybe I heard on lines twenty four seven, but I feel like this has an opportunity to be a place where the backup receivers contribute more than the previous receivers in the backup role did. So that that makes you feel a little bit better because you have guys, you know, maybe. Maybe there's two people that have 40 catches, but then I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see three, four, five guys get 20 catches this year, or or at least 15 catches, just because you know a lot of guys might get opportunities, and, and and maybe not. Maybe you know Mitchell Tinsley comes in and he solidifies in his role as at one spot, and Lambert Smith does the same at the other, and you have Parker Washington that can bounce around, and you run with those three majority of the time. But the fact, the fact is somebody's going to have to come in at some point and, and step up. And I don't really know if I, at those three guys, Sean, I don't feel great about any of them as far as taking the top off the defense. And so if you're looking for somebody like a K.J. Hamler-like guy who can run by the entire defense, you might have to look towards a true freshman. Maybe an Omari Evans, maybe a Caden Saunders to do something like that. Because I don't think those three guys that we've been talking about necessarily have that capability. Maybe Malik Mega comes in and does that. Right, and I think Caden Saunders is, I think he's going to play this year, and I think he's going to play quite a bit, and he's going to be that guy that they're going to hope could take the top off uh, defense. And uh, Malik Mega showed that he that he um, has, that, that he could be explosive. He showed it in the Rutgers game with the 70-yard uh, touchdown catch. Um, 
And then there's uh, Liam Clifford uh, and Harrison Wallace. They'll be in the mix for playing time as well. Right. And maybe we got to talk about Malik Mega a little bit more just because I think people are expecting something from him now. I mean, it was one thing last year to kind of get, you know, your, your roots settled in the ground a little bit and, and kind of, but now it's like, all right, let's see what you got. And if he steps up, and I think we've said this exact same thing maybe a month ago, but if he steps up and he plays extremely well, it makes things a lot simpler. If you can say and, and confidently say we can throw the ball to Washington, Lambert Smith, Tinsley, Mega, Strange, and um, why can't I? And Theo Johnson. Um, if you can say you can throw to all of those guys and feel good about it, and you throw in, I don't know, a Nick Singleton and a, and a Devin Ford or a Kevon Lee out of the backfield, and you got yourself almost ten targets that you feel good about. Now you're talking about an actual tool set, a toolbox of different weapons, and that all have different characteristics that Yursich can have fun playing with. And I think when you give a guy like Mike Yursich an offensive kind of crazy scientist, those many, you know, that many kind of weapons, I mean, that is when the fun and creativeness kind of just starts getting getting fun and getting crazy and getting wild and weird and not only is it fun and maybe you can outsmart yourself sometimes but it's also really hard to defend for yeah i agree like malik mega uh, according to franklin last year he could run a four three and he's six four so that's going to give you um that gives you that means you could run and he got size and those are two of the things you look for and yeah this could be like if, if you think about since 20 17. Uh, Penn State, the way that they operated with the receivers is they'd have one go-to guy. They had K.J. Hamler in 18 and 19, and then in 20 and 21, they had Dotson. And then they'd usually have a solid guy behind them. And then beyond that, it was just a bunch of people <laughs> and, and nobody to write home about um and no disrespect to guys that were here uh, like cam sullivan brown or daniel george um but i think this group could be better than what we have seen since uh every year since 2017 just in the just as a collection of guys um uh, i don't know if there's that uh, first or second round draft pick in this group, but it's just a really solid group of receivers that, yeah, I'm honestly pretty, pretty excited about. I, I got a feeling. I don't, yeah, I don't think Mitch Tinsley becomes a first or second round guy, but I think he could easily become a Deshaun Hamilton kind of guy that gets drafted. Um, I think Lambert Smith has the potential to be a second round guy if he puts it all together. Because remember, Jahan Dotson. You know, when K.J. Hamler was the guy, Dotson was there, but we were all kind of waiting for Dotson to take that next step. And he, you could almost say he had a lackluster year. What would that have been, 2008, 2019? When, when he was there, but he, yeah, well, he just didn't necessarily, he just didn't seem like he was you know, ready to take that next step. We weren't talking about Dotson being a first-round pick or even thinking about that in 2019. So, um, 
I think Lambert Smith could take that next step. Has the size that I think Mega has that. You said six foot four, you know, super fast in his forty. He could do the same thing. So I think they have the stature and the ability. But who's going to step up and actually make that next step? I would also argue, um, and, and say that Amari Evans. I think in the long term, I think Saunders ends up having a better career at Penn State. But I think Omari Evans could be a guy, just because of his speed, makes an impact more this season for Penn State than Saunders. Just because he has, he's probably the quickest guy in their class. And, um, and, and yeah, he might, in Penn State's class specifically. And he might, just, just because of his speed, get a couple more opportunities um, to do something. So I, I'm excited for the receivers. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know what to necessarily expect, but I, like you said, I think overall, fundamentally, the group is more sound, which goes a long way when you have more faith and you have backups that you can kind of have trust in. Yeah, Omari Evans, uh, that's a good point. He's got a lot of speed. He played quarterback in high school, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a transition for him uh, to, uh, to receiver at the next level, but I could definitely see him having a big impact here. And I, I think he will um, just like if, if you could run, that's incredibly valuable, obviously, if you could run as fast as he could. Yeah. It's always, it's always a plus. I mean, you don't have to teach somebody to run fast, right? No, <laughs> right. So, exactly. It's something you can't teach. Right. So um, yeah, I'm excited. I think the receiving core is something to be excited about as long as Sean Clifford can, can have time to throw. And since we've kind of wrapped up the conversations on the offense side of things now, at least should be noted that in spring practice, Bo, Bo Pribula was taking the third string reps, not Drew Aller. Um, I guess that's some sort of because just the refinement and, and Aller does have some things to clean up technique-wise. A little surprised on that for me. Um, I don't know how important third string reps are in the first two weeks of spring practice, but... Um, Right now, at least, Drew Allard, I mean, if, and it tells me anything, it tells me that Sean Clifford's going to start against Purdue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, if people thought that Drew Allard was going to walk in and be Peyton Manning, um, he is not. <laughs> not yet, at least. Um, and I don't know if you saw that video that Ben Jones put up. Uh, it was quarterbacks, they, would, they were rolling out to the right, and it was like an eight-yard pass to the end zone. And all the quarterbacks completed the pass except Drew Aller. So it's not it's not time to panic, Penn State fans. It's okay. It's, it's one pass and one pass out of thousands that he's going to throw in the spring. Um, but it goes to show you just him being you know probably fourth string right now. Um, I think it also goes to show you that when you get to college, people don't care about what you were ranked in high school. It doesn't matter. And you're go- if your coach is uh, competent, it doesn't matter. And he doesn't do things like promise positions in high school or promise starting spots in high school. Um, and it might also go to sh- it might it also goes to show you that maybe maybe Prabula's got some game, and he could go and beat out a guy like Drew Aller, who is all world out of high school, at least I, so far. Right. I I would go as far as saying I. We've talked about this when we talked about quarterbacks and what Prabula can do. I think he's going to, for the next couple of years, be a thorn in Aller's side. And, and I think it's a good thing. 
Um, but to, to have that level of competition there and, and knowing that you're going to have to fight and earn your spot, I think it's going to make Drew Aller better. Um, I really don't like how him and Veyu are both wearing number nine. I, I don't think that should be allowed. I don't. Also, I'm pretty sure what the new kicker and punters are both wearing the same number. I think they're both wearing 47. I want to say, which I don't. I don't. I don't get it. Um, and maybe that 47 is not the right number. Um, give me a second to fact check that. But let, yeah, let's go back to it for a second. I mean, Sean Clifford's going to be the starter. That's what we've been saying pretty much the entire time. Um, kind of proven at this point. I think everyone's going to be. I think people are going to be surprised when in the spring game because. I would assume Veyu is going to get a decent amount of reps, and then I would assume Prabula and Aller, you know, maybe get a quarter of the reps each. I assume Veyu gets half the game, equivalent of that, and, and the other two kind of split the the other half, or something along those lines. And um, I think people coming out of the spring game are going to, well, they should feel pretty good about the quarterback position overall, knowing that Veyu is a lot better than where Roberson was, obviously. And then you have a guy in Prabula who maybe right now is better than all, or maybe not, maybe not overall in his you know physical traits, but playing quarterback is more than just physical traits. And having both of those guys in reserve is is important. And I think Penn State fans should feel pretty solid um, once the spring game hits and, and moving forward in the summer. Yeah, I think so too. Um, like last year, I was very very concerned about the quarterback position because of what was beyond um sean clifford uh i never saw taekwon roberson play before um i think we saw why we never saw taekwon roberson play before um and christian veyu i never saw play before and because he was a true freshman who also didn't play his senior year of high school due to covid so that really worried me. We're going into this year. I've seen Christian Mayu play, and Drew Aller and Bo Prabula were both pretty highly recruited guys. So I feel a lot better about the room overall going into this year. Okay, I can clarify what I said earlier. Now I have um, both specialists, punter Barney Amore and kicker Mitchell Grow are both wearing number ninety-six. So. So figure that one out. Let us know. Um, that 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 was treated by Audrey Snyder, um, I guess, four days ago. So, yeah, that one's that one's not going to be fun um, to to mess with for the future. But um, yeah, I, I think we've we've covered the offense. Well, I think we agree the offense line's obviously the question mark moving forward. Um, it's never a good sign when you're kind of hoping and waiting for Hunter Norzard to come on campus because he has to pretty much be something um, or at least JB Nelson has to be something in order to feel better about the offensive line so that's never a comforting thing um, the good news is Penn State continues to recruit extremely well um, we've talked about that a lot in the last month that since people have been able to visit on campus again things have really picked up for Penn State again and they've kind of le- you know left off before COVID-19 so that's a really important positive sign um, this is kind of my segue into what we want to talk about next, but um, you know, you got to give it credit. The offensive line recruiting has been a lot better and you know, it's easy to point blame when things are going bad, 
But when things are going good, you know, you got to kind of give credit where credit's due. And Phil Trotwine has done as pretty much good of a job as you could really argue um, since the end of the 2021 season as far as reloading and getting to a better spot for 2022. He's recruiting extremely well. And then Mike Yersich coming out straight out in the uh, in the in talking to the media a couple of days ago saying hey I'm the offensive coordinator the running game is my responsibility not the offensive line coach basically saying get off trot lines back it's on me we got to be better right yeah I I saw that too and I thought that was uh that that was him having Phil trout lines back um and it's also pretty true uh, it's up. It's a full effort to try to get that run game going, and it falls on everybody to not do it. And like you said, a lot of it is talent, and it looks like we're bringing in a big influx of talent now. And that's how Phil Troutwine's going to be evaluated, and his recruiting, uh, his recruiting ability definitely helped him in keeping keeping his job. Right, and, and you might, we got to remember too, Troutwine isn't the most experienced offensive line coach in the country. I mean, he's, as far as coaching goes, is, is still fairly young in his career. Um, so there's room to grow there, too. Penn State's got a lot of senior vet uh, uh, coaches, assistant coaches in general. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have been around a lot of football for a long time. Trotwine, compared to them at least, isn't one of those guys. And so you would assume being around a lot of guys that have a lot of experience He's only going to continue to improve. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. I think Ty Howell being there should help at least a little bit as well. So, Yeah, Phil Troutwine played with Tim Tebow, I believe. So he's a yeah. very young guy. Uh, Tim Tebow just uh, <laughs> signed with the Jaguars in that farce of a deal that he did with Urban Meyer for a training camp. Yeah, he was. And so, you know, that says something, right? I mean, that, that does say something. And there's a lot of great assistant coaches. And I'm not trying to defend Trotwine too much, but what are you going to do? I mean, you can only fire and bring in so many offensive line coaches so many times before you say, maybe that just isn't the issue overall. Um, and I, I actually thought Lime Grover, I had the privilege of meeting Lime Grover multiple times. Lime Grover was a really nice dude, a really nice dude. Uh, I don't really know if there's that many mean offensive line coaches in the country, to be honest with you. Um, but Lime Grover was a really, really nice, really nice dude. Um, his family was really nice and sweet as well. So um, I, it sucked, but I think Trotwine is a, an improvement. We just haven't seen it yet. But overall, if, if the Penn State offensive line is better this year, I mean, how do you not begin to really believe in Trotwine? You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's going to really, really help for him to have to show, you know, you always want to show improvement. Even if we walk out next year, we don't have Michigan's offensive line from next year. If it's better, if we have an offensive line that's above average, well, that's a huge step forward, especially considering uh, the, the talent that we have coming in. And it shows me, uh, since most of these guys are, uh, our guys coming back from last year that Phil Troutwine could develop, could develop offensive linemen and being able to develop is one of the most important parts of coaching. Yeah. I mean, you can't just recruit great players. You also have to develop them and, and Penn State's done a pretty good, pretty good job as far as that. So, um, 
I think that's it. Let's talk Franklin a little bit. Um, and then I want to, well, before we talk Franklin, let's just say um, I've seen a lot of new boards and mock drafts. I think Dotson is pretty much locked in as a first round at this point. A lot, a lot of people are talking about Dotson right now. Some people still have him outside the top five as receivers. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to go before some of these other guys. I think people are secretly in love with him, and they're not trying to overstretch and trying to get him as late as they possibly can. But I don't see any way he lasts um, through the first round. I would be very shocked to see Jaquan Brisker last past top 40. Um AK, I would be surprised if he lasts past the top 40. And even though Brandon Smith doesn't have the best film, uh, Mel Kuyper's board has Brandon Smith as a fourth best outside linebacker. Sean, I know that surprises you. Yeah, I thought that was a little high for Brandon Smith. Um, I could, but he's a very polarizing prospect. So just because Mel has him as number four ranked, uh, as the number four ranked offense or outside linebacker, it doesn't mean everybody will. But you know, I, I think Kuiper gets. I, I think he gets a lot of. I, I think he gets a lot of flack uh, for a lot of different things. But I gotta say, most of the time, where he has guys projected to go, usually it's right in the neighborhood of where they go. So maybe not all thirty-two GMs agree with him. But all it takes is one. So if there's one GM that falls in love with Brandon Smith in like the third round or even even the late second round, wouldn't knock a feather out of me. But it also wouldn't shock me if he fell to the late fourth. He is just that. He's that type of prospect that the, the film could scare people, but the measurables could really uh, bring them in. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and you know, Another guy that kind of falls in that same thing is for me is Terry Castro Fields. We're going to talk to, you know, draft uh, maybe next week, maybe the week after. I don't exactly. When is the actual NFL draft day? The 28th. Yeah. So we, we might we might wait a couple more weeks before we get there, but we'll talk more in depth about it. But Castro Fields is a guy for me that is in that same ballpark. Could go, honestly, in the third round if you or maybe even a second round if you're truly in love with him because he ran fairly well. But if you don't love him, you could have him in the sixth or seventh round. So um, very interesting to see where he ends up. Um, I do want to talk about, you know, what Franklin, any anything else Franklin said. Oh, before I get there, I knew there was something else. Um, Ryan Bates. Signing a new contract with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so he's got his second contract, making a lot of money now. Uh, big, big time for Ryan Bates. A guy who, again, I don't know if he ever really peaked at Penn State, but seems to have found his spot in Buffalo. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, it's one of my prouder tweets. I think I actually tweeted about Ryan Bates, and I said he's going to be a good pro. And what do you know? I'm I'm a real Nostradamus. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, great for Ryan Bates. Uh, he had a really good year with the Buffalo Bills. He was a starter in that um, epic game that they had with the Chiefs uh, this past year. So happy to see the see you know a late round guy go and get that big payday. Yeah, and then Deshaun Hamilton, who super frustrating career so far in the nfl just injuries and then just all sorts of bananas happening when he was at denver uh picked up and they were trying to trade him i believe they weren't able to so 
Uh, he was picked up by Houston. So he is with the Texans now, which I think and change of scenery is exactly what Hamilton needed. Hasn't really had a chance to be healthy for a full year and show what he could really do. I know he, he was even returning some punts for them at some point. So curious to see how it goes for, for them. Obviously, Houston is kind of in a weird spot now with no Watson. So who knows what's going to happen to Houston. The Houston could be a completely different ball team um, in, in the next couple of months. But Hamilton going there. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned Robinson getting the big deal. I think we did last time. I think we did. I think we did, but yeah, that, that the, the rich get richer with uh, uh, the Rams adding Allen Robinson. He's, you know, he's been one of the top ten receivers over the past ten years. I, in my, in my opinion, he's been just super consistent, and with some pretty, pretty awful quarterbacks. So now he gets to go to a great situation like the Rams, and he deserves it. Yeah, and also they won't have to depend on him to play all the time to move the sticks, which I think is huge for a guy like him. I mean, not like he's old by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, he was seriously first when he was at the bears or even when he was at Jacksonville, I mean, he was almost having to do everything and in order to move the football. So now you got a couple other guys on that team that can hold their own. And when Allen Robinson is in, is in, you know, one-on-one situations or God forbid you play zone against him, he can tear you apart. And I think, that's going to be a situation where I don't know, if you need a fantasy pick late in the late in your draft next year, I think Allen Robinson's a guy who uh, you could probably feel even better about than, than previous years. Absolutely, and Sean McVay is going to find ways to get him the ball. So I could definitely see him being um, a red zone threat and 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 beyond. Anything else you want to add um, from what Franklin had to say? He didn't really talk for that long. Yersich had some other things to talk about. Um, was there anything else from either of those coaches that you wanted to bring up? No, I, I do want to bring up that uh, Yersich was asked, I think it was his first question. He was asked about the run game last year, and he really, really did not want to talk about last year. So I think it just kind of emphasized the turning of the page that the – that the uh, coaching staff as a whole um, really wants to do. And I can't say I blame them. Yeah, and the way he kind of said it made it seem like it almost had the same vibe as if he's kind of said that to the team too. Don't you get that kind of feeling? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, I I think it was Audrey Snyder that asked, and it's a perfectly reasonable question, I think. um, and um, but I also understand that Yersich doesn't want to focus on last year. Last year happened. Nobody's happy with how last year ended, and they want to move on to a fresh start. Uh, they also have other running backs now that they didn't have last year. So who's to say that we can't be that explosive team on the ground that we that we once were again? I think we definitely could be. Okay. Uh, with with the athletes that we have. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, before we get out of here, I think we need to do two more things. Number one, we have to mention that Nick Singleton, running back Nick Singleton and running back Katron Allen are making noise um, in the spring ball. I think people are already talking about Nick Singleton. It's already starting to, the way they're describing him kind of has that Saquon Barkley vibes, which when he came in the summer, um, it just people are already kind of mentioning like, hey, this Nick Singleton guy's got a pretty solid burst. They actually specifically mentioned that he's pass protecting well, which I thought was really early to be saying that. So that one kind of 
that one caught me by surprise a little bit. Um, but Catron Allen getting a little bit of attention as well. So that makes everyone kind of at least kind of feel a little bit better about where that running back room could be heading towards the rest of the spring and then into the fall. So that, that seems good. Um, and then also any, um, this is time for the success with honor update, Sean, is there any additional updates on the success with honor crowdfunding? Yeah, still nothing. Um, and I totally agree with you on, um, on pass protection with Singleton, because if you remember, it took Barkley a couple of years before he really got good at or adequate at pass protecting. He was never a great pass protector, but by his junior year, he was definitely adequate with it. So that's usually something that comes later. So it's that's highly encouraging. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Saquon, if anything, was one thing that some people knocked him on. Not not that he was scared to do it but just sometimes he didn't have the best technique or he didn't follow through with some of his pass blocks or he waited for him um so we'll be at the keep an eye on that but even if it's a decent effort at this point in singleton's career that's that's a very very good sign so uh but keep an eye on that as we move forward i mean the spring game just has a feeling that it might be the singleton allen show doesn't that just kind of get that kind of vibe yeah definitely um like kevon lee I, I know he was nothing special last year. He might not play a whole ton in the spring game because what's there really to get out of it for a jun for a junior? Um, I, I guess I guess he isn't a competition, so maybe maybe you'll get to see him a little bit. But I think it'll be way more valuable for guys like Katron Allen, uh, Nick Singleton, and even Keziah Holmes to get uh, a lion's share of the reps. Right, yeah, so it'll be, uh, as far as things to be excited about, I mean, this spring game, more than most spring games, I, I hate saying there's a lot to take from them, but, I mean, I remember a couple of years, not a couple of years ago, a lot of years ago, when, what was his name, Cole Chippa, Chippalelli, Chippanelli, Chippaletti, when he ran for, like, four touchdowns or whatever, and that was, like, the only thing to talk about in the spring game. Like, it's not going to be one of those years. Like, it's going to be one of those years where we actually learn some things because there's going to be competition at offensive line. There's going to be competition at linebacker. There's going to be competition at safety. There's going to be competition at running back. Who are the receivers that are going to step up and maybe make some plays? Like, there's a lot of things that we kind of have to learn, and there's not a lot of things that Penn State necessarily can hide from us. Right, and there's a couple things that I think factor into that. Number one, we had such a good recruiting class last year. And number two, we have so many early enrollees. So when you combine that, it makes for a more exciting spring game than usual. Uh, I know a lot of people for Blue White Week, and they don't actually go to the game. Uh, I always do. Uh, but I do understand that some people skip the game because a lot of times it's it, – and it is. It, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But this year, I think there are a lot more intriguing storylines than usual. So I recommend go to the game. Yeah, I'm not going to be honest with you. I don't think the last time I was in, say, college for a blue and white game, I actually went in. But I knew going in, it was one of those years where it wasn't as big of a deal. I could can make the argument this is one of the bigger bigger years as far. I mean, I know we have a quarterback figured out, but we don't have a running back. We don't have summer of our offensive line. You know, and, and those questions and the defensive line questions aren't going to be answered in the spring because it's really about getting healthy and 100. percent But linebacker, um, there besides Curtis Jacobs, everybody needs to play well and improve and, and show what they can do at linebacker at the safety position, like a Jalen Reed or or, or maybe even uh, a, a Wheat, a Zaki Wheatley. I mean, it, it is 
there's some things that need to be figured out. And, of course, the, the kicking situation, too. So, um, yeah, there's some things that to pay attention to this year for sure. Yeah, and I and and the quarterbacks. Uh, we have the number one quarterback in the country on our team that we haven't seen yet. So I think anytime you could see you could see that practice, it's intriguing. And uh, the guys that he's competing with, uh, I, I know we all saw Bayou a little bit last year. We've seen a lot of Sean Clifford. Uh, number one, I don't think we'll see a whole lot of Sean Clifford in the spring game. Um, and number two, you, you have a guy like Bayou. You want to see how he's how he's built off of what he did uh, against Rutgers and how he uh, has improved in the spring. And you want to see uh, Walter Bula as well. Right, right. I think it would hurt everybody if we saw more than one drive out of Sean Clifford, if that. I just don't think there is any – there's no reason. And also, God forbid he played bad in that one possession or he played a quarter and it was awful. Like – then you're just you're you're inflicting pain on yourself at that point from a from a PR perspective. So hopefully we don't see Sean Clifford. If you wanted to see something from Sean Clifford as a coaching staff perspective, you have other practices to do so. Don't put him on national television for better or worse. Yeah, I agree. I think we also mentioned, um, you know, we mentioned linebacker. One guy we do not want to see at all. I think we both agreed on this was Curtis Jacobs. Yep, just keep him off the field. We. Uh, we're good there. We, we know what he brings to the table. Um, now, to be fair, defensively, they're at least learning a new playbook. So so from that perspective, I get it. You know, you're trying to figure out. So I, I'm okay with him playing a series. But, yeah, again, you can kind of learn how to do the playbook in other situations. So And don't forget, spring practice is way more than just the blue-white game. Blue-white game is just another scrimmage for them. It's probably one of their easier scrimmages compared to everything else they're going to do in the, in the spring because – it's nationally televised. There's a reason, you know, and Franklin, being Franklin, is not going to, you know, showcase very much to Purdue or anyone else for that matter. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really why the game's not as exciting as it could. But, you know, the bottom line is someone's going to throw the ball to somebody and someone's going to have a nice catch and someone's going to make a nice play at some point. And that's cool. That's Penn State football. That's something we get to talk about for the next couple months. So, Yep, absolutely. It'll It'll give us content for sure. All right, so, well, well Sean, we, uh, we're, we're about, about out of here, here so I will let you go. go. Um, we'll, we'll figure out what we want to talk about next week, week kind of have an opportunity to talk about whatever the hell we want. want. Um, but so we've, if you haven't really caught up, we know we've covered all of the position groups. Maybe we can talk special teams more next week. Um, but we'll figure out some more stuff for next week as well. So, for Sean King and for myself, Corey Lestokey, this is Hardcore Penn State Football. Talk to you all next time.